I'm Monica Melpass on Inside Story. Could marijuana soon be legalized in Pennsylvania? Let's get the Inside Story. Good morning and welcome to Inside Story. I'm Monica Melpass. Let's meet our insiders this week and they are Nia Meeks, Communications Executive. Good, Good morning. morning to you. Glad to have you, of course. Ed Trzansky, Foreign Policy Analyst. Good morning, Good morning. sir. Welcome back. Nelson Diaz, former judge. Good morning. Always good, good, good morning, to have you, Monica. Nelson. And Sam Katz, documentarian. Thank you for being here as well to good you, Sam. Sunday morning before Christmas, Christmas Eve. exactly. We appreciate <laughs> all of your time. Thank you. Governor Tom Wolf talked this week in social media, at least, about possibly legalizing recreational marijuana, something Republicans in the state have traditionally opposed, but he at least is talking about it. Uh, neighboring states are talking about it, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, and 10 states have already legalized it. So is it time for Pennsylvania to get on this? topic and get moving. Well, I think uh, it's important for the revenue opportunities that we have. Otherwise, we, we lose the revenue to New Jersey, Delaware, uh, and the other states surrounding us because people will go there for the recreational activities, which is not that far. Atlantic City is sort of the bedwind of uh, many of us in, uh, in the summertime. So it's a loss of revenue, as we did in the past with the casinos when we were Johnny Too Late. So I think it's a really opportunity for revenue, too. It also helps in terms of criminal reform uh, with regard to all of those people that got arrested, convicted, and are still in jail over the use of marijuana. So it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to try to clean up slate in terms of our past history. So building fewer prisons, paying for fewer prisoners to be housed over small acts like this. Is it time to turn the corner on this issue, Ed, or is this a gateway drug that it scares you? It is a gateway drug that scares me. To Nelson's point, though, New Jersey is out in front, and the minute a bordering state has it, you feel tremendous pressure for reasons having to do with revenue. And the idea, and I think this is how they'll rationalize it, if you're afraid of what it does, it's still going to happen because they'll just drive across the right. bridge, do what they want, and then bring that back home. So I'm not sure we're going to have the fulsome discussion about the health issues that are involved, but revenue is going to drive the discussion as well as the fact that we've got a neighboring state, perhaps more than one, which is going to move in that direction and force our hand. And a couple of state senators, Dalen Leach and Sharif Street, are proposing a bill reportedly next month in January that would legalize it. Uh, is it something that you're opposed to? Or you think it really it's time to get on with this issue? You know, it's interesting. Culturally, when you think about it, two things have been happening in the last few days that we really haven't thought about. Uh, one was the, the legal recruitment of Cuban baseball players. And now <laughs> we're talking about possibly legalizing pot here in Pennsylvania. You know, the medical issues are serious issues, but then revenue is what always drives this. I mean, when we think back to the late 60s, early 70s, it was the lottery. And it was the illegal numbers game that was actually put out of business because of the lottery systems, because the states wanted the additional revenues. I think another thing that one would look at is, like the, when the lottery went out and that illegal system went under, those gentlemen started to go to another type of underground um, <laughs> commerce, and that was drug dealing on a higher level. It'd be interesting to see what ends up happening for those marijuana pushers should uh, this become legalized. What happens to them next? All right, but speaking of drugs, let's talk about the opioid crisis and the ongoing efforts to but try to stim it. But you're not going to talk about oh, marijuana. No, no, you can dive in there. <laughs> but I don't know anything about it. It's all good. I was going to move on to opioids. Are you trying to say I will be fine. 
Being kind to my friend, yes, Ed. Anyway. You're a historian. <laughs> there you go. No, we'll get to you. I promise. I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm <laughs> Sam is good. All right. Only, only thing I would say is that legalization came a little late for me. <laughs> <laughs> we understand. So, Sam, but opioids are a serious crisis nationwide and certainly in Pennsylvania. And another tool has been added to the toolbox mm -hmm. in the effort to try to rein that in. And that's an online tool that would allow people to report when they understand that there's misuse over uh, prescribed pills from a pill mill, if you will, uh, to help at least curb the supply side of it while we're working on the treatment side for people who've become addicted, uh, really through their doctors or through no fault of their own when they got a pill they shouldn't have had in the first place, perhaps. 5,400 overdose deaths in Pennsylvania just last year. Is this a step in the right direction, obviously, or is there more that we should be doing? Well, there's much more that we should be doing, but the opioid crisis, I, I think it was last week that Purdue Pharmaceutical ran a full-page ad. Purdue Pharmaceutical was the maker of OxyContin. Right. Purdue Pharmaceutical is the company that created a marketing company to promote OxyContin as a solution to all kinds of problems, hired thousands of drug reps to go into doctor's offices, and to a large extent bears some of the burden for the opioid crisis because OxyContin is one of the most addicted uh, prescription drugs in the market. But it's also important to take note of the fact that we've been in a drug war in this country for 100 years, mm -hmm. and we have lost on every single front. There isn't anything that the country is doing, in my mind, to deal with the influx of addictable drugs that's been successful. The step towards legalization of marijuana, the step towards trying to treat in Kensington and then house uh, persons who are opioid addicted and homeless, these are all important steps, but they are at the cause level of the problem, not at the root level of the problem. Right. And speaking of gateways, I'm sorry, Nia, um, a statistic that we've had this week that uh, I saw on my research, four out of five heroin and fentanyl addicts say they got started on prescription drugs right. and then moved on. So speaking of gateways. You know, when you really think about it, that we're talking about treating symptoms, and we do actually have to get down to what is causing these problems. When we look at the uh, abuse and addiction with opioids and how that exploded really in the last decade, well, what happened in the last decade? We had a lot of anxiety that was going on, economically driven anxiety that was going on. So that combined with pain, combined with job loss and everything else, opened up these doors for addiction. So part of what we should start looking at society as a society are some of those behavioral aspects of things. And more physicians, more health insurance companies are starting to do that and looking at alternative methods and, and destigmatizing behavioral health issues as opposed to saying, oh, you're crazy, you can't hack it, or, you know, stress is good. Really, we need to start culturally looking at this. Acupuncture is being prescribed even more now. There are different methodologies to deal with the things that we are facing because we are looking at addiction that unless we actually wrap our, um, wrap our arms around what their real problems are, it's just going to continue. And Philadelphia doctors trying to get uh, Philadelphia officials are trying to get doctors to start by prescribing non-opioids for pain and then move on to the opioids if that's needed for serious, deep, long, lingering pain. Yes, yeah, the commissioner's uh, proposal in terms of reducing the sale of opioids. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the deep problem of addiction when I grew up uh, there were addicts all over the place and selling of illegal drugs all over the place. Now the opioid and the add addiction issue has spread throughout the entire country. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of market and profit. 
uh, and these companies take an opportunity to promote this, as Sam was talking about in terms of the marketing, just for the profit motive. And if someone doesn't put a hand on it, just because it was FDA approved doesn't mean you're, you're supposed to give 50 pills to someone who may only need one pill. And it's important that they, people realize and that doctors are able to talk to their patients about giving them aspirins or Tylenol or things that are not addictive, which do the same thing without the needing of being addicted to anything. And so my fear is that we are losing so many young people with regard to this that um, how do we turn the wheel on this without stopping these companies from continuing the profit motive because we don't need these opioids in our marketplace. I think the opi the um, we have to consider how opioids came into wide use in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it was really the government saying you've got to get better around pain management. And to points that Sam and Nelson have made, profit did kick in. The companies who spent the money to develop these drugs said, go out and sell. Right. What was not fully appreciated was the addictive nature of the drug and how powerful it is over time. And like any other drug, as people become addicted, they will search out whatever they need. If it's not through their doctor, and the medical profession now is under a microscope, CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, are on top of this. Hospitals and doctors are being pushed hard to restrict the use of those opioids. But the porousness of our borders means that you can buy what you, what you can't get from your doctor, you will buy from China or Mexico. And very often, it's not to quality. It has all of the addictive capacities, but also because of the way it's formulated, it winds up causing other problems like brain tumors, for mm. instance. Mm -hmm. so we, 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 have we have common ground here, right and left, on the three issues that are here. Addiction, right. Right. Uh, opioid, the opioid crisis, and mental health. Because right. no family is immune from the suffering that comes from any and all three of those conditions, mental health, behavioral health. Mm -hmm. There is a bill just passed in the legislature to try to make it possible for intervention to occur on people who are mentally ill who were a threat to themselves, who right. were a clear and present danger to themselves. That bill just got passed bipartisan. We know that medical marijuana got 148 votes in a Republican-controlled House. So that there was, there was bipartisanship unanimity and coming to terms on common ground. This, this issue right now, which I think should be infused into the presidential election, into the congressional elections, is really a threshold issue for the country. That's All right, speaking of bipartisanship, let's talk about our next issue, which is criminal justice reform. Both Pennsylvania senators on two sides of the aisle agreed to go for what's called the uh, First Step Act reforming years in the making, by the way, that it took to get mandatory minimum sentences to be fairer. So it's across the board, many judges giving a less of a sentence, reducing repeat offenders, of course, and providing con uh, corrections officers just the most simple thing, a way to safely store their own gun for their own safety when they're in the prison system. Uh, it sounds like a correct move, and it's going to uh, possibly pass because President Trump said he would sign the version that comes out when the House and Senate get their two versions together. Uh, it sounds like a, a perfect deal, but not going far enough in some critics' minds. Well, the, the, the issue has been that the prison industry 
has been a very prosperous industry, particularly in the last uh, two generations, as a result not only of the drug uh, arrests, but a lot of the uh, young people who obviously don't finish school in many of the urban areas, if they don't finish school, they wind up in jail because they have a mine, and they'll use a mine for other activities. And as a result, we have had that issue. And now when we see these many nonviolent offenders in jail, as the Ortega case, the person was in jail for 32 years for a drug offense, which is a not an offensive uh, and, uh, and, and an offense that was that uh, uh, terrorist in, in terms of activity. I, I know uh, people who get less time for jail uh, for murder. And so if it wasn't for the governor's intervention in his case, people would have totally forgotten. And that's an opportunity with the first step cases to be able to look at those nonviolent offenders and begin providing a program of release, education, and opportunity to straighten out their lives. And, and give I'm them a second chance good. in the marketplace and jobs. Well, yeah, and, and, and also, you know, we, we have full employment now, so we could use uh, that uh, element of employment. But, the, but the, the second thing we'll do is I think we'll look for uh, court reform and sentencing reform, which will allow people essentially to reform their lives and not be stigmatized by a prison sentence. Critics, though, say the victims didn't get much in this first step act. It is indeed a first step, and I think it's fair to say that you had people from all sides actually looking at this and saying, economically, does this make sense? Was a social impact? Was what we're doing hasn't made sense? And the answer too often has been no. The answer has been some of these things have been too punitive. I mean, when you're talking about women having issues with um, feminine hygiene products and just all of the types of, you know, immoral activities that were happening in our prison systems and actually restoring some more of the judicial oversight so that they can not have their arms and their legs tied up when it comes to sentencing, but actually do what they were elected or appointed to do and say, this is how this should go down based on um, what my years of experience are telling me. So it is a good first step. It should not be the only step and we shouldn't raise our hands and say we're all I'll give done. an example of a case that I had. Um, it was a first offender and there was really a tight question in terms of uh, committing a crime in a public uh, transportation system, which was a cab. Um, and the guy uh, had some kind of attack, and so the jury convicted him. And I had no option but to put the guy away for five years because of mandatory sentencing. And that's a person who didn't need to have five years. He had never had a record, never had a problem. In fact, he had family members in terms of who were real professionals in, in the community and I had no no option but to uh, sentence mm. them five years because of mandatory sentencing. And now that will change. All right, we're going to take a break. More Inside Story coming your way right after this. Stick around. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. Last week we talked about how one state representative is introducing legislation for gun control in the cities, not necessarily in the rural areas of Pennsylvania. And now Pittsburgh itself is instituting or trying to have a local ordinance to allow cities, its specific city, to ban semi-automatic weapons because of the shooting, obviously, at the Pittsburgh synagogue. Is it okay in this state, and will it ever happen, that cities can do something different than the rural areas and have some gun control? I, I would think not. And the reason why isn't because I don't think there are people who would find that acceptable. But the voice over the shoulder, which is the National Rifle Association, will see that as slippery slope. And everything's a slippery slope. There, there, there have been very few concessions made to 
whatever you might want to characterize gun laws as being sensible or whatever they might be, because each intrusion on towards sensibility is is putting the government that's taking the action on a slippery path to more control. And in fact, gun advocates say they're going to protest next month in Pittsburgh. But there is no hunting being done in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Actually, there is bow hunting of deer in Philadelphia, usually under the auspices of the State Game Commission and the Fairmount Park. But cities, people don't need automatic weapons. I mean, they're not used. They really should be allowed at gun clubs where people can use them. Why a person would need an automatic weapon to go into a forest in Pennsylvania to take out a bear or a deer? I really don't know. There you go with logic. But (laughs) but all of it from the National Rifle Association's perspective represents, without something in return, without a deal, I don't see how that legislation But the the, the city also can't pass legislation without the state's uh, approval. And, And to some extent, we tried in Philadelphia. If you remember, Nutter tried to sue the state to be able to get some kind of legislation that would be at least limited to our uh, city. And the state always opposes this because the state really has the final jurisdiction and then obviously the Second Amendment afterwards. But, I mean, in terms of the state, in New York, they don't have those kinds of problems. And to some extent, a lot of it is security and how you use security and whether or not you enforce the minimum security issues in a city, and we don't have all the homicides in New York that we have here. And it's not just in Philadelphia. I mean, a lot of people think that the homicide rate, I mean, granted, it is too high in Philadelphia and it's not acceptable, but our our county is not the highest in homicide rates. I mean, it's even a little town in Berks County, and then even after that, you have Chester, and then beyond that, you have other counties and other uh, municipalities, Pittsburgh being one of them. Overall, people are more concerned about the homicide rate than they are a gun. No one cares if you have a gun, but you are more concerned about the weaponization of that gun and how it's used. If we can start separating that out, and it's not about this particular piece of equipment, but it's about the actions that that piece of equipment takes more often than not in certain circumstances. So no, we can't really justify for most of us why a semi-automatic weapon would need to be used, yet there are others who feel like they must have it and is their right. Until we balance that tension, we're always going to have these these uh, proposals of law. Let's let's change it for the city, and then the Commonwealth saying no. Well, if we're part many, of the how many homicides does it take? How many homicides? Look at look, look at what happened in Pittsburgh. Look what happened in Connecticut. Look, look what happened in Florida. I mean, I, I agree with you that at the end of the day, homicides should be addressed. But we, we don't ever get to those issues. We get to uh, unfortunately the thing that we can all see and put our hands on and say, oh, it's the gun. At the end of the day, we have to address the behavior. I go back to that because that's really what it's all about. All right, let's move on and talk about pensions. And uh, Governor Wolf, as well as the state treasurer, started talking about a way to reinvest or start a new investment strategy with two huge funds to save the state a bucket load of money. In fact, over three decades, it reportedly would save $10 billion if they did the seemingly simple thing of merging the smaller state employee retirement system with the larger Pennsylvania school employee retirement system and have cohesion instead of two different staffs and two different investment tools working and having to pay all those folks. What do you make of it? 
here's your expert. Yeah. This is the man who helped this city deal with similar problems. So, well, so is I, it the I yield my time. Is it the be all end all, Sam? Well, first of all, you have to give Joe Torricella, the state treasurer, credit. Who he's at this problem. But if you read the articles that uh, and the reports, Governor Wolf said, however, this does nothing to to deal with. The gazillion billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities that those seventy nine million right now seventy nine billion 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 with a B yeah uh, merging I, I lose these, those M's and P's <laughs> merging the two operations makes sense right and there will be some economies of scale being a bigger buying force in the marketplace which was one of the references I find a little un not credible I I, I think we already are a big buying force in the marketplace where you're not going to drive markets the markets are driven by all the participants and the suggestion that it's going to be a ten billion dollar savings is predicated on earning seven point two five percent for the next umpteen years now they're not going to earn that this year at least it's unlikely that not they in the will. stock market anyway well and the majority of assets uh, are allocated to uh, uh, to to equities that's right. where that's where most pension funds are by not paying fees, by not having fund managers to operate funds, you're going to reduce the 2% that you pay for management fees, all of which is really important. But it doesn't address the problem that we are headed into a liquidity train wreck with the pension systems of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and lots of others. But this is the SAM. There is a political board that are selected. And these political boards at times are requested by their constituents that there be investments from some of their counties, communities, and so forth. We'll have to wrap instead it up of, quickly, instead of having professionals do the entire aspect of investment. And so that also has a tension which creates losses because not everybody knows how to do the, uh, right. the investments. We'll have to leave it at that. Inside Stories of the Week coming your way next. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Time for Inside Stories, and let's start with Ed. Monica, as we gather and enjoy Christmas with our families, let's remember the plight of Christians in the Middle East who are being driven out and murdered by violent extremist Islamists. All right, we'll say a prayer for them. Nia. Well, we are in the Christmas season, and it's the season of giving. And you can save a life. In fact, in one hour, you can save three lives. Give blood. It's the time of year that a lot of people kind of forget about that in the midst of the hustle and bustle. You can start now, or you can wait until January, which is National Blood Donation Month. But do the important thing, because there are families out there that need you. All right, nice idea. Sam. If the Eagles don't win today, you can give blood tomorrow. But uh, <laughs> I think it's a great time to be a sports fan in Philadelphia. I'm excited about the fact that we finally got our gear, uh, gears moving in the right direction. I think what uh, John Middleton and team are doing to try to bring a world-class player to the Phillies is really a big deal. I think the way the 76ers are playing is fantastic, a little more defense. But, and the Flyers seem to be on the verge of turning it around. So, you know, this is a holiday season for those of us who are Philadelphia sports creeps to really feel good about our teams. How about the Flyers with a new player and an interim coach? And didn't they win? And big? they won. There you so go. There you go. Who can say? All right, Nelson. Mia does great things. Meeks has put together uh, Senator Williams and I to begin doing a symposium on the sexual abuse of children that occur and how we can tackle and try to orient those children to doing 
greater things as Mia looks at it. Well, I'm happy to hear that you've collaborated. See that? That's <laughs> very nice. And that's Inside Story for this week. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks to our panelists for joining us. Merry hope Christmas. you have a wonderful holiday ahead. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and go Eagles. And, applies. <laughs> and we hope you have a great week. We'll see you right here next Sunday morning.